Welcome to the Further with Founders podcast. This episode, we're bringing you audio from the fireside chat from the Ready, Set, Go Further program, which took place in the Guinness Enterprise Center in September 2023. This week, Further's Dr. Rosalind Beer sits down with Pilot Path's Managing Director and Founder, Craig Lancaster. So this is Craig Lancaster of Pilot Path, and Craig is actually working literally across uh, over there. Um, so Craig's on his journey. Uh, he's a bit further ahead than the most of you. So he's here to kind of talk to you about his journey, share his insights, and uh, many of which are very, very, you know, honest, real. Um, and that's why I think, you know, Craig is such a great person to actually listen to, talk to and interview. Uh, and he's also on a funding raise at the moment. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start off. So thanks for Thanks for coming along, Craig. No problem at all, Roz. Very nice to meet everybody, too. Thanks very much for listening. So, um, okay, talk to me about your background pre-Pilot <coughs> Path. So, in the last, so last year, I started with the Guinness Enterprise Centre. I took over Pilot Path uh, from the helm. Uh, I think it was June last year, so just over a year and a half now, or about a year and a half we're getting into it. Before that, I had spent five years with the Ryanair Group. So I was head of in-flight and I was one of their regional managers when I was originally employed with them, um, which was crazy, crazy. Ryanair is as mad as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say much more. <laughs> Before that, I worked for Tesco. I was appointed Tesco's youngest store manager at 19. Uh, I joined when I was 16 part-time and I was still in school and stuff like that. And by the time it was all said and done, I'd, I'd moved on and I'd taken over that position. So it was definitely a leap right into the deep end from a very, very early age from a corporate point of view, without a doubt. But do you think that you had like entrepreneurial kind of traits at that stage or was it something that you wanted to do? I'll be honest, like when I look back in hindsight, yes, is the answer, like uh, short and sweet from that perspective. Because I never recognised, I suppose, as I went into them different roles and them different levels, that... The reason I, I got in and figured out the system and continuously expanded and, and moved on so quickly within them was because it, w- it was them entrepreneurial traits. It was looking at it from, you know, that being able to look at it from that helicopter point of view from day one and say, well, how can I improve it to make my life easier and the people who work for me's life is easier? And, you know, at the time, no, I just went along with the flow at the time. I just figured this was just who I am and this is how I do things. But in reality, that it is actually what led me to leave them jobs and take the leap overall. Okay, so talk to me about the idea around Pilot Path, how you came up with it, and then the leap into entrepreneurship. Pilot Path came from two sides, without a doubt. On one side, from the, the airline perspective, it was really, really clear that the market of pilots and the market of people that were coming into the network, the people we were recruiting, they were coming from a pool of less than 5% of the population here in Ireland, less than 5% of the population across all of Europe, because it costs €100,000 and you need to be able to take two years off to do this full time. So you're essentially, for someone on a, a medium income, you're, you're, you're paying 200000 for it, which isn't attainable to most people. When I looked at it from that perspective, drawn in from my comparison of what I wanted to do, so I always wanted to be a commercial pilot my whole life. I'm from uh, Cherry Orchard in southwest Dublin. It wouldn't, I wouldn't know any pilots pre-Ryanair. I knew absolutely zero. In fact, this was the most elusive and exclusive industry out there, and for a lot of people, that's the case. And I looked at it from a point of view of, I, I remember one Christmas sitting there, and I was a store manager with Tesco at this point. I'd finished. They, they paid me to do a degree up in the University in Ulster and stuff. And I said, 
how do I change this? Like, am I really doing, I was 22 at the time. I was like, am I really going along with this life? Is this my life now? Or can I change it and do what I want to do? Which was to become a commercial pilot at the time. And I mapped that away. I figured out a system to do it. And by the following February, I was working full-time on Ryanair. I left Tesco behind. I resigned. And I, I'd said, okay, this is a new start. I made the kind of moves to figure out how I'm going to do this from like a practical perspective here in Ireland. And I started flight training. Around 35, 40 hours in, I ran out of money. Credit union wouldn't give me any more money. I was, I was at a point there where I was like, okay, the plan is not going to the point at all. And I, I really looked in at myself and I said, is it, is it me? Am I the problem here or is it the system? And then I looked at what I was doing at the time. I was managing around 2,000 crew across 16 bases in Europe for Ryanair. I was 23 and I was like, this isn't the me thing. Like, this, it, couldn't be, it can't be. Like, I, I can see where I added to it, but it wasn't fully me. This is the system. And the reason it was the system is because when you look at it from an outsider's point of view, you're looking into this exclusively. You're looking into who is a commercial pilot and who acts like that and saying, is this sustainable? Is this going to be the way this will be forever? You know, a really a crazy point one of the guys that works for me, Sean Brawl, to me this week, he said he'd done a bit of research into it. And the people moving from kind of lower working class into like a higher end of working class have has absolutely quadrupled in the last 10, 20 years here in Ireland. But the people moving from kind of middle class into the upper tiers has actually declined. And typically we're pulling these pilots from them top tiers. However, now with the new standard of life we have in Ireland and Western Europe in general, more people are taking flights. Everyone wants to go on holiday. That's our benchmark now. And at this point, it's really clear, even from a statistic point of view, how we got this and why pilot path was the answer. I developed the business model. I developed an idea behind it. I worked evenings. I worked weekends. I brought people on board to help me do all of this for another two years. And then last January, following a kind of a similar Christmas philosophical episode of what am I going to do with me like in 2021, December rolled around, I recognised, you know, Craig, you're miserable what you're doing now. This isn't, this is not what you left Tesco for. This is not what you can do for the rest of your life. You have a good idea here. You have an opportunity. And I went in and I resigned on the 4th of January. You finished up in June then last year or May last year and said, I'm going to make, make a go of this and make it work. So do you want to describe to everyone what Pilot Path is then? Of course, of course. To give you more context behind what I just said in that, in that piece, Pilot Path is a flight training recruitment and management system that specialises in people that want to train part-time while continuing on in their full-time career in the background too, to self-fund it. So that cuts out 100 grand straight away in terms of their loss of the salaries. Our price point is 65,000, so another 35,000 saving versus a traditional method of training. And essentially what Pilot Path does is we provide the system and the platform as well as the, I suppose, the background work that goes into taking all the pitfalls operationally, financially, personally, out of the arena from day one and giving someone a clear path. The, the point behind that and the reason behind that is that I looked at, like, when I was 19, I had been appointed to this big job, and the first thing I went to is I went to bought a 5 Series BMW. Isn't that what we all do? And I said, brilliant, I'm great, and this is me now. So three years later, uh, the car was written off, and I was still paying back the credit union for it, and I said, okay, that wasn't the smartest thing that I could have done, but I did look back. And then I just went and done the exact same thing again. And I went to bought a 4 Series BMW this time that I'm still paying back. So I looked at myself and I said, what was this? Like, you could afford these payments over them couple of years. In fact, if someone had taken my hand back in, I, I was appointed in 2014 in Tesco, 
back in 2014 and say, Craig, okay, spend the next six years or four years or whatever it might be making these repayments and you'll be a commercial pilot by then. I will, I'd be a commercial pilot today. That was the reality of it. And this is where we've introduced that kind of stuff in the background to allow people to, to be able to pay. We negotiate the credit agreements, they pay us, and essentially they pay an equal amount each month over the course of more or less the four years. And it brings them in then at the, at the end point. And the training is done in conjunction with partnerships with, with flight skills. Exactly. So we partner with our flight skills. So flight skills that already exist, that were already approved within Europe and essentially by the Irish Aviation Authority as well. We only partner with these guys that can deliver and have proven track records of delivery so that essentially we're taking out the selection of skill from the student from day one and they rely on us to find the right license approach for them to get them in the other side. Okay, so you were effectively your own customer. Yeah. How did you get your first? Essentially, so, essentially <laughs> so, so. Instead of setting up this whole thing just to make you a commercial pilot, which yep. you haven't yet done, but that's still on the on the radar, I'm assuming. I don't think I'll ever be a commercial pilot. I think in Ryanair I spent far too much time on the wrong side of the union negotiation table to ever be allowed to <laughs> wa- walk among the lads and the girls out there that are doing the job. So I don't think I'll be warmly received put it that way. However, on the flip side of it, it was meant to be like this, if that makes sense. Yeah. I can look back now and I can say, no, this was, this was where I was meant to go with this. The world is crazy. I'm 29 years old and I've had three massive career changes in that time. And to be totally honest with you, who knows how many other career changes I could have in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm kind of leaving that to, like, destiny, I suppose, and let that figure that side of things out. And I'm just trying to make the most of the time I have to actually do it and to get back up on the horse all the time and keep going. Okay, so just talk, because we were talking about customer validation, so how did you onboard customers? Had you built it, and then had you set up everything, and then you, you know, how did you go get your customers? <laughs> it was a work in progress. Like, to be honest, if I look back at the first student we enrolled and the documentation he received, and I suppose the experience he received, it's, an, it's actually embarrassing when you look back at that, but I take, take that word embarrassing out. It's, it feels like a dirty word from that piece, and put in, it was a learning curve, it was evolution, and what we test. have, it was a test. And so essentially what we done was is we had absolutely nothing. We had two notebooks at the very start. And I had to go on a journey of, first of all, bringing people up to speed of where I was from a flight training perspective so that they could help me, and then designing it from the ground up. Where we are now is, it was really important to note that I, I really understand the value of money from that perspective. Like, I know 20 euro is an awful lot of money when you don't have 20 euro. And my perspective was, I'm going to go and I'm going to raise money for so I'm going to, I'm going to validate this business with my money, like to start off. And I'm going to make sure I generate that money and more back so that I can build, build this system, uh, hire people, build an office. We're three years in business from the 1st of August 2020. And so far between August 2020 and 2023, we've generated over a million in revenues now. Um, yeah, we're delighted to work. Well, <laughs> we're over there now. It doesn't feel like that. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's nice to quote that number, but the real work still isn't done. Mm-hmm. However, what that has allowed us to do is it's, it's allowed me to, to build what we have today, to recruit three people on board to support me you know, from different channels within the organization. And then more importantly, it's allowed me to expand internationally into the UK in the last quarter so that we could we, we have 10 partners now operating internationally across the water as well. And what it's done from that point, I suppose some of you might be in this position where you're looking at a market that doesn't even exist yet. Because my market, as you can, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. wasn't these guys with 100 grand. It was everyone else. And nobody had ever done this before. We were a market mover. And what I said is, like, I need to go and I need to set milestones on how many students and where to recruit them to prove product that, that it works to prove that the market even exists at all and to essentially validate 
everything that I was doing and working towards going, taking over full time. If you're faced with that, and that felt like a daunting task at the start, it did. I done market research, I went into the background, I spent money on it, but in reality, I was just getting facts and figures thrown back at me. The actual way to do it was to grab the bull by the horns, work them evenings, work them weekends, and prove that the product exists, prove that the market exists, and validate the entire system before we've opened the funding round now, before moving into the funding round to say, guys, this is where we are now, and this is what I'm trying to do. What I found from the background, the reception of the product, the reception of the system, and what I've done has been, it, it's carried me leaps and bounds in terms of, I've worked for further for the last year now to get me investment ready. I, I come from corporate, I was totally corporate, we call him Corporate Craig, no longer anymore exists. However, I've worked from that perspective and I've, I've looked at it now and said, over the last year I've kind of polished myself up. But I've also learned how to how to be a founder, how to be a startup entrepreneur, and how to get to a position. But the backing of what I've done in the background for the last couple of years has carried me leaps and bounds. Just on that, because I want to move on to the resilience in a second, but just talk to me about your team and talk to me about the self-belief and the leadership and the entrepreneurial mindset that we kind of touched on this earlier. Yeah. So, like, how how did you get people <coughs> to kind of come work for you and work with you? And yeah, <laughs> tough for us. Yeah, it was tough. I will say that the people across the way from me have all worked for me before. They were all on far more money than they're on today. They worked alongside me as counterparts in some points. They worked for me in some points. And it was, I look at myself in a very specific way and I look at that I'm made up of loads of different parts. Now don't get me wrong, I don't have a split personality. They're not going to be making a documentary about me on Netflix one day. But like... I do look at me like I'm that part, but I also look at myself that like I'm the core person there and I'm the leader of all of them parts. And whether that's the imposter syndrome, whether that's, you know, the person that's saying they can't do this, whatever it might be inside you, you know, I connect into that part them parts of me and I speak to me because I'm the leader. I'm the one that that needs to get myself up in the morning. I'm like we're coming into we're going at Concord speed into winter at the moment. Winter's a really tough time for pilot path. And we probably won't have our investment round closed. And what I'm doing, like it was, I even look at yesterday, it was a really tough day, but I had to say to myself last night, going to bed, I'd say, who is the leader here, Craig? Is it your emotions or is it you? And which one are you going to let lead you forward? That resonated into the people that work for me. Mm-hmm. Unconscious to me, and I suppose I didn't realise at the time, but it created a belief in me because I was believing in myself and I believed in what I could do. And I believed that I had a good idea. I had to shake off an imposter syndrome that has followed me around since the start of my career and say, this is who I am. That was who I was when I was 20, but today, reaching 30, this is actually who I am now, and I can get back up and on the horse an awful lot quicker, mm-hmm. and the people working for me can see that, and that gets, it helps them get on the horse too. This is tough, and it's tough for everyone. Yeah. Well, just know? talking about that, so what, what do you think were the critical obstacles that you had to overcome? I and think, like, what about COVID, and what about post-COVID? And well, we launched in the middle of COVID, believe yeah. it or not. So we had launched, and we started the business in August 2020. We couldn't take our first student until March 21, believe it or not. So all my savings were burnt by the time we actually took our first student in. At that point with COVID, there was a lot of restrictions on skills. It felt like an awful lot of the time, should we just give this up? But it was that inner perseverance to just say, After, over my dead body, am I giving this up? This is too good of an idea. This is, this is something that could actually impact an industry and disrupt an industry. I have to go ahead. I couldn't live with myself otherwise. In terms of Post-COVID, I suppose, the biggest obstacles there were, A, like I left Ryanair and I, I, I look at myself now and I was a mess compared to the person I was now. 
I was miserable. I'd worked 100 hours a week in a corporate job that I loved. I really, really loved it. But something inside me said, what does success look like? That was the first obstacle, to figure out what that looked like. And it was no longer being the director at the table out in swords anymore. Now it was having a successfully rounded life where like, I have time for me, I have time for my business, the time to move my life on like, in, the, in the way I wanted as I approached that, kind of, that part of my life. Coming into, for, into the GEC, for example, we started here and it was just by chance, the first day we were actually in WeWork. And on my last day in Ryanair, Google, best place to work in Dublin. And we ended up in the GEC the next Tuesday by chance on a trial day. When in there, I found out about further. I found out about the whole ecosystem. I thought this was just office space. And within two months, further kind of wrapped their arms around me and said, okay, this, was, this is very our now, and this is very our, I suppose, professionally. We're going to take on this program that even continues to this day. Me and Ros were just over in the office talking about it. This, this program that's going to bring you to a point where you are investment ready and you are standing in front of investors, whether they're VCs, angels, whatever it might be, you're going to understand the crazy. Do you know one time I had to go into the toilet and Google what B2B meant? I had no idea. Someone downstairs said it to me. And I was like, what's that? And I didn't want to seem like I didn't know because, again, the, like, I, it was my first time doing it too, but it's a year later now I can honestly say like I do pitch, I get in front of these people, I'm confident, I, I feel, I understand what I'm doing now and that was the biggest obstacle was finding further, finding this ecosystem and finding a place to move through. All of you here I suppose know who further is and you might be a little bit ahead of me from that perspective. The next part was staying at it. The trenches are deep, they're deep as a founder and they're deep for your team as well. But you need to be able to channel your energy and, and, and I suppose mind yourself enough that you don't pull them down into the trenches with you because they're the guys that are doing the work and if it's you doing all the work which it was me for an awful long time you need to be able to get out of that rut and get back out of that trench quick enough or else it will fail and it's more so even at the darkest times the worst times even when you're staring into crises and stuff like that getting up getting yourself dressed and getting into work or in the evenings, in the weekends, whatever it might be, going and actually committing to it and just doing it. That whole mindset journey that it took, that was a massive, massive obstacle. But I can honestly say if it feels hard now, it'll feel an awful lot easier in a year's time when you have loads of experience getting in and out of it. Exactly. So talk to me about the funding. So just how, okay, we're at the point where you're raising, but yep. um, you know, talk to me about how you funded it. I know you said you burnt through credit union, <laughs> your car, everything. I so begged for it and stealed so money. Family friends, not stealed. family friends. And um, so it was all my savings initially. So it was my savings initially. Uh, two other proprietary directors that put money in at the start with me too. Um, that was the start point. It was only like, it was only over 10,000 euro. It wasn't anything major at all, to be honest with you. But it was enough to get us off the ground. Everyone continued working, everyone continued committing their time, and mostly me putting the time in part time and in the background. From that perspective, then we start generating revenue. The first goal for me was I have a service, a service product here. How can I make money so that I can expand this concept further, so that I can actually start to make real traction with this? I, I understood that I could fund, I understood I could go in the background and, and do a certain amount of things and stuff like that. But I felt, and I suppose listening to my gut more than anybody else, listening to that instinct and that feeling, I felt I, did, I was never going to be confident enough going looking to try and raise money without some kind of validation, without some kind of generating revenue and showing these guys that I really understand. I, I worked in Ryanair and Tesco for long enough, and, and me personally, my background, 
a five euro is a lot of money when you don't have five euro. Do you know what I mean? And the same applies into a business perspective then, which has kept us from an outgoing perspective really tight and which, which has kept us alive over the last yeah. year and a half in this landscape. I think we opened the round, I opened the round with a set of expectations that like everything else, I would close this in three months. Uh, not the case. Here we are nine months later. I still I still am funded. I've gone through a number of different ways of doing it. I launched a crowdfunding campaign, which was unsuccessful, but simply because of, I suppose, the, a, a different set of environment metrics and stuff like that. At this point now, we have to yeah, reopen. Yeah, I think the nature. I think the nature of the business yeah. might not have been as it's, as um, appropriate for that. You know, it, exactly. depends, it just depends as well on the time and, and the timing. So. Exactly, and this is, and look again, more pitfalls, but at the same time. I got back up, I dusted myself off, and I'm working with Forder's Investor Network here, here Finn, in the GC, yeah. Finn. I'm working with the uh, HBAN Angels um, and a couple of other private investors to kind of continue challenging myself to, to put this information forward to improve and evolve it every day, every week, every email leads to something so else. So can you share, like, what, what do investors want to see, you know, from your, and what, what have you learned about what investors want? Because you're running the business, but yep. when you're presenting to them, you know, we get you investor ready, but you, you know, what have you learned? I kind of want yep. to know your insights. Um, I think I'm going to give a small analogy first. Right? I always did every like I'm sure everyone's on the car in the, in the room, and when you first get this new car, you think there's absolutely it's perfect. However, a couple of months later, you know where the dents are, you know where the scratches are, you know the air conditioning doesn't work, and you know this, you know all the all, all the kind of the grubby parts of it overall. So it's it's fogged the newer us. I apply the same principle to a company. We're running a really good company. We're generating revenues. We're employing our people. We're, we're adding to the economy overall. But at the same time, I know where every lump bump and every every blemish is. That is a lot of the time out we are controlling. There's nothing you can do about it. In terms of what the investors were looking for, they, I suppose, from, from day one, losing that attitude about them blemishes and bumps and believing in yourself and your product is number one. Mm. They know they exist. These people have been here before uh, or they've invested in it before. No, everybody knows nothing is 100% perfect mm. that they want. They were looking and what I found is that investors are typically open to anyone from any background, any age group, any, any different socioeconomic factors or, or anything like that. They didn't care. What they did care about is that you know your numbers. So from day one, I, I, had a, I have an accountant, I have a financial director who's a forensic accountant, and I actually designed the financial model for Pilotpath. I put it into a terms, working with further obviously, mm-hmm. but I done every number, I done every forecast, and I logically based everything based off our two years traction from that point, so that everything I said had merit behind it and I could believe behind it. The amount of times I've been asked random questions about the financial model, but every time within five seconds I can reply because I put the work in. They were looking for a really polished pitch deck and a polished investment memorandum. And that was to get across, from a pitch deck point of view, what the investor wanted to see in less than five minutes. And from an investment memorandum, they could pick out the parts that are specifically enticing to them so they can expand their knowledge more. That was even before they'd really talked to you to even get a meeting set up, which is which is crazy. But that will show you the work that does need to go in and that, you know, 
over that year, it was hard coming from, like, I was managing 10,000 people in Ryanair, and then all of a sudden I was managing just me. It was only responsible for me, which was even more difficult than all of them people. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, my brother said it to me, I remember I was having a bit of a crisis the week after leaving Ryanair. At first, like, I was kind of like, who, what am I? Why am I here? What is this? And he told me, he's only 24, and he's actually going into the guards next week, two weeks. He's going to be the first guard to ever come from Cherry Orchard in Dublin, and it really was beyond these years. He turned around and he said, well, you're responsible for you now, Craig, aren't you? You've never, since you're 19, you've never had this opportunity. And I said, you're right, Josh, this is, this is it now. This is a defining moment. And I went off and I looked at it and I said, as I've gone through, I suppose, creating these documents, putting this work in the background, I had to let, I had to become a duck. I had to let water go off me back. I was constantly being told, this isn't good enough. This isn't right. This isn't this. This isn't that. On the flip side, that used to be me saying that to other people, and it was very, I had to recognise that I am just one person, another human being on this planet, and I am absolutely imperfect. So any advice is good advice, and any momentum you can take out of that, That's quite run a, with it. Quite a humbling experience. I think you need to just... <laughs> very humbling. Take, yeah. and, and see, but see, see advice and see questions as being a positive way for you to validate what you do do and, yeah. and make sure that you really know it inside out. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of learning curve. You're only kidding yourself, Ros, if you don't know everything you're doing, like, and you won't know everything at the start. I, do, I still don't know everything. I don't think anyone does. But if you can be sure about what you're providing, sure about the product, sure about the service, whatever it might be, and even more importantly, sure about where it could go, if you can convince yourself, be sure in yourself at the core of it all, that's where the difference is going to be made because people, it's like the way, like, we got a new dog last week and the cats are going crazy over it and they can smell it. They can just smell that she's even in the house. And it's the same thing. The investors, if you're not ready, if you don't know your stuff, if you're not confident in yourself, the minute you walk into the room, they can smell it. And nobody, I could still be, I could, I could still be shaking even going into a pitch. Well, it doesn't mean I'm not confident. It doesn't mean I don't know what, I, what, what, what I'm talking about. They're body limitations. They're not your mind limitations. Your mind is existing within that body, and it's existing for you to control and for you to look after from that perspective. I think that's like you can't feel excitement and fear at the same time, so no. go with excitement. They'd be oxymoronic. Just choose one of them and go with excitement. You're exactly. totally right. You're totally right. And I think, and you know what? When I, when I have ever seen you pitch, which is quite a few times, yeah. you know, the passion yep. comes through and, that, and the fact that you care Yep. that comes through and anyone can see that you really really yes. are passionate about this and I feel you've got yeah. a purpose I have but a purpose exactly yeah. let me before we ask you about what the future holds mm -hmm. um, you know any just it was like key nuggets of advice for everyone sitting in the room because you would have been at this stage you know yeah. early on with yep. your idea what would you say I think the first one is commit to it and stick to it you have an idea now everyone's in this room because they have an idea there's 5 million people, 7 million on the island, 5 million people in, in our country here. And there's a really select amount of people, a really tiny amount of people that would even pluck up the courage to come and sit here today. I didn't even have the courage to. So I came in on the back way and just fumbled into it because I was, I was at a do or die stage. You guys have come here and you, you're sitting here and you're investing in yourselves to improve and deliver something into the economy that not an awful lot of people can you can be absolutely sure that by staying in the 9 to 5, by staying in the current situation, life will continue as it is now. This is, this is an opportunity to change the world for everybody individually, and this is an opportunity to really make something of your abilities and what you're able to do. And the biggest piece of advice, I suppose, from the background that is, even if you don't see that yet, commit to it, stick with it, trust the process, and that would be the first part. The other side of it would be, a lot of people will be here and probably working on their own, 
a lot of people will be have people in their sphere that might want to help them. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help from people that, that could help. Like by just putting the feelers out, I was able to find one person, Christopher, our operations manager there. Christopher was on board within a couple of weeks because he believed in me and you'll be surprised that if you've made it to this room, there's probably an awful lot of people out there that do believe in you and you don't realise it. These people will come along and these people will help if you want them to be on the journey with you and if they want to be on the journey. And sometimes, even if it's just a sound on board that understands what you're doing, it makes the absolute world of a difference. And at them times where it's easy for me to say, commit and stick with it now, they're the last words in the world you can think of when you're, when you're in the, th- the, the thick of it, when you're in the trenches. I would say, look around you and see who might have less time or more time and might not be as busy and might be willing to help you on a project like this. The other side, I would say, if you weren't in this room, I would say go and find out who further is. Um, you're already all in the room. You know who they are. I would say that these guys, like I'm, I'm talking like I'm a big established business and this is brilliant and blah, blah, blah. Further are still working with me to get me this funding side of things, to work with me to get Enterprise Ireland. The more you put into it, the quicker you reply back to the guys in Forder, the more detailed, instead of expecting them to do it, you get, just get 95% ahead of them. Because then, see that 5% that Forder are bringing in, that's, that's the stuff you'd never figured out. That's the stuff you'd never guess. That's the stuff that experience gives you. And that's, that's where they work their best. They will take you from any position. But when you're giving all of that in, when you're really trying your best to deliver here for, for yourself, they'll respond and give you back 10 times as much in terms of connections, in terms of their, their oversight on your work, in terms of what they can add to, to add that bit of extra spice and to make you really clear and polished for, for when you're pitching. The other side of it is the numbers and the finances. Know them inside out. Every month, even if it's bad news, know it, know it, know it, know it, know it. Knowledge is key here. I'm working a quarter ahead of myself all the time here. I'm talking about January to March with the guys. You walk into the office there, we have the next three months on the board, and then after that is what we're actually talking about. Because what I've learned from experience and what I'm trying to give out here, I suppose, is that this is going to be—you're going to be hit with a million different issues. It's going to be issue after issue after issue after issue. But if you just take that and put it into life, is life not exactly the same? And we still get through it. We plan our lives out to to make sure that we can hit them obstacles. Take what you know, and you might think, oh, I have no experience doing that. Will you do? You spend every day with that experience. Take it and apply it into your business and apply it into what you're doing here. That's how you'll survive. They say, I think uh, there was a, uh, an article I read around so many businesses failing within their mm. first five years, such a little amount actually get out our first couple of years and stuff like that. To me, I think that's, I would have been a victim of that had I not, I suppose, changed that mindset to say, this is how we're going to go. We're, We've hit the bad storms. We've been caught out by so many things. We need to get ahead of ourselves and deal with the deal with the bad news now. Deal with the problems now, so that they don't actually become the problems that they could have in the future. Shame on me if I let a first time. I need to be kind to myself. I need to let it go. You won't catch me out a second time, and that's that's very much the ethos. We're all human. We'll all make mistakes, but get ahead of it and continuously be learning from that perspective of what goes right and what more importantly goes wrong. Okay, so you're raising now. So what are you what are you going to do with the money, and what's the future and what's the vision? So with the money, what we're going to we've we've developed a really a really solid B two C platform at the moment. We've really good service. We've a really good system. We've built on the background. Post investment, the aim of the game here is to move us from being a solely B two C company where where our customer is the end pilot and we're partners of the flight skills to move to a position where we can deliver 
enough pilots to satisfy the shortage. The shortage predicted for Europe, believe it or not, is 44,000 across. Mm -hmm. Like it's a massive amount. And that's because of the disparity in incomes and, and expose how we've gone as a Western world altogether. What I want to do is take the leading flight skills, my actual current competition, take the leading flight skills out there across Europe and, and potentially globally past the second round of funding. But for now in the EU, take them, use their infrastructure, their runways, their pilots, and make them more efficient. Maximize the amount of time their aircraft are flying, their instructors, their runways, powered by a pilot path technology that will encompass this B2C system, but allow the flight skill to seamlessly recruit and manage these part-time guys. They'll continue with their headcount working on their full-time people, but rather than increase their headcount to employ it, take more students on, they power themselves with pilot path technology to efficiently recruit and manage these part-time pilots on our exact systems, and our headcount and business will move towards a business and software technology model rather than its current B2C now. To make it really important, and I don't want to underwrite what the B2C actually means, that's why, we all, that's why I'm sitting here today. That's what funded it. That's what will actually fund our salaries for the next couple of years and fund everything else. The investment, what that's allowed me to do is draw down. I'm looking for 500,000. Most people trying to build tech are looking for 1.5 million. Oh, again, I'm understanding the value of the money and I understand the value of the business I have. And so I'm raising an awful lot less than what a ticket for a tech company would normally be. But it's because I've validated and I've built a concept that I'm not relying on their money to pay me or the guys or our overheads. I'm using that solely to build out a technological advantage that will bring us to our next stage of revenue and that will ultimately deliver our full revenues by 2027-2030. Okay, so before I open up for questions and answers, um, you know, personally, your journey, so everyone who pitches and looks for investment gets asked, you know, <coughs> the exit strategy or, you know, so what is your, what is your, are you in this, is this your baby for life or, you know? Um, I think based on what is it, like, I'm like 29 now, like there's been three changes of career already, so who knows, you know. I know that I was, I was meant to do more than, than what I was doing before, and I didn't always believe that, and I, I never say that so confidently, but, but now I accept that, and I accept that, that that's where I am. From an exit strategy point of view, I suppose my push now is that there is a shortage out there. The shortage has gone away, and don't take my word for it. This is what Boeing say, it's what Airbus say, and it's what the CAE say. They're the top three players in the world, and they're telling us that globally we'll have a 286,000 shortage by 2030, and that in Europe more specifically it'll be 44,000. I am with PilotPath, and most likely for the next two investment rounds, I would say this is my baby, and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about, and something I don't want to live in the short or medium term, to be totally honest with you. I feel like PilotPath will become, it is a market mover. We are patent, patenting our ideas, our software and stuff like that. And it will become the first guys out there to essentially revolutionise, disrupt and change the industry. We've already done it in Ireland. Like People are, have quaked in their boots and I'm proud to say that at this point they have because they weren't expecting a new guy to come in, especially someone that's not a commercial pilot, and to, to change thing around, things around to a point where 13% of our total customer base are from our largest competitors who willingly chose and moved to us. From a long-term perspective, this technology is scalable from a global position. Mm -hmm. It's not just Europe, 44 out of 286,000 is Europe. And it is a, a question on how, how we scale them past and into a global spectrum. At that point, I think there is potential for PilotPath to become a bolt-on for a network of established leading flight skills, potentially, or to be acquired by 
either aircraft leasing companies as one thing they don't deliver at the moment to their customers outside planes they don't deliver pilots yet so there's a good opportunity there and more importantly the end user who needs the pilots more than anyone the large airline groups there's five large airline groups in europe most with some form of fund to invest in different parts and pieces mm. none of them actually get directly involved with the training However, neither does pilot paths. We're the management and recruitment system in the background that's allowing them to become efficient. So there's good opportunities there. It's not an out thing. I think yeah. I need to be the person to lead us onto the global market. I need to be the person that, that brings us to our full, full abilities. And that's why I can't really put any kind of time frame or where we're going to go. I can't see a life <coughs> outside ever being an entrepreneur again, though, or a founder, I suppose, overall, in some way, shape, or form. I think this is... I talked an awful lot about, I suppose, the negative sides of it. Yeah. There's an awful lot of positives there as well. You know, like I've been able to, as I said, when I, when I resigned from Ryanair, I didn't get too much into detail, but I was miserable, more miserable at 27 years old than I ever, I ever hoped to be again. And it was because of the way I was treating myself and the way I was going about life with what I've been given. And I can honestly turn around a year and a half later and say, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. It's still tough. Stuff still attacks you left, right, and centre, but I'm much better able to to, to navigate through it, through it at this level and where I am now compared to the Craig that existed two years ago. It's given me time to reconnect. Like I've a whole family of so many friends around me now again. And the day I left Ryanair, I had I think just my brother really to be honest with you, and that's not who I am or who I'll ever be again. And that side of things, there's an opportunity here, even with the crazy hours of work as an entrepreneur, as a founder, the amount of time it becomes your life. The feeling that you're not doing it for someone else anymore and that you're doing it for yourself, you don't think that consciously because it's ingrained in you. You know that's how it is now and you have no one to feel sorry for but yourself at that point. And that's a, that's a big tool. It's a really, really strong tool to be able to use to, to transform your life to the way you want to see it. You know, it's all in your thoughts. It's all in your abilities. Nobody's too young or old to do that. Okay, amazing. Well, thanks very much. Okay, so um, wanted to open it up for questions and answers. It worked. So anyone go? Yep, sorry, Carmel. Um, you hey, talked a lot about mindset. Yeah. Um, and was that something that you consciously worked on or read books or how, how did you change or when did you change? Um, the change, I suppose, has been a work in progress over the last year and a half. As I said, kind of like when I resigned from my previous role, it was, it was feeling like, I, you have to imagine, I loved this job. I loved where I worked. It's, it was where I wanted to be. But I think we all can agree that we can read ourselves better than anybody if we actually listen and we know where we, what we actually want. And sometimes we don't even know what that looks like. But I knew a change had to happen. The change itself, the first year, I would say, was tough. It was tough to adjust to this new life, to adjust to... And this was all outside the work and all these hours a week to make this happen as well. In the last six months, though, there's been a definite change, a definite push-through in terms of the belief in myself that I'm the leader of me, that I can make all this happen, that it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you're from. People, if you have a good idea, people will buy into it because as I said, like the people in this room, there's so there's such a little I haven't really even got about thirty people. Like that's such a compared to seven million people on the island, like that's the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest percentage of people that are actually pushing forward with ambition to actually change something. And like that, Carmel, I had a small notebook about the size of the tissue in your hand there. And that's where the first idea was written. That's where it started from there. And it's been, I had to consciously work on it. I did. I've done an awful lot of work on myself to, to draw in on myself and to figure out 
why am I doing this? And if you want it, if the core of you wants change and it wants to move on, it'll, it will happen for you because your actions will automatically stimulate you. What you used or books you read or, or um, did it all just really come from within? I think I, 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 a lot of it comes from within. There is books and stuff that I had read in the background, but what I found is that there's two types of people, I think, in the world. I watch a lot of documentaries and history and stuff like that, and I was like looking at you know people like Alexander the Great and these great people, these world leaders, and looking at the people who are enlightened, you know, like like the Buddha, you know, like looking and saying these people are achieving these two different paths. I looked at all these self-help books that were written, and I said, okay, people that go on this journey of enlightenment, then they move towards that, and then that's great, and then they sell a book, but the book doesn't mean anything to the vast majority of people because they haven't gone through the journey at the same time. The people who want to be great without achieving some form of enlightenment and really looking in on themselves, like there's plenty of great people around the world that were world leaders, like Stalin, for example. He wasn't great, though. He just achieved greatness, I suppose, for his country and for him and stuff like that, but he never re he never added to the world in the way that he possibly could have with his talents and his abilities and stuff like that. And I said, what kind of person do you want to be, Craig? Is like, do you want to be that person? <laughs> or do you want to be the person that figures this out, writes a book and gets a quick check out of it? I didn't want to be either of them. And I said, what's the hybrid in the middle? How do I make this so that professionally I can achieve like the, as far as I can go while keeping me and staying myself and keeping my morals and what I know is right and wrong in the same place, but as well as following a track that's going to give me some form of like understanding who I am and why I'm on the earth at all. And, and them combined is what gives me the minds that I have today. That, that push of just, it's as simple as, you don't need to buy any books. You don't need to go and ask anybody. Just ask yourself. Don't be afraid of don't be afraid of like no like this is where some people could think oh I'm mad and say this fella has a split personality isn't this and that I don't I'm one person one personality but I do talk to myself I do look in at myself and look at all the different parts of me and say which part am I connecting to here which part is feeling this which part needs a bit of support here and over time like it's amazing I worked in Tesco and I had a deputy manager and then I had a, lo a fleet of line managers down under them and the person I communicated with most was the deputy manager. However, when I was doing my job job badly, I was talking to all the line managers and ignoring the deputy manager. I noticed that I have a deputy manager that works in me, and he's doing 95% of the work. And this outsource, this kind of going out and talking to them parts, you only have to consciously do that probably 3 to 5% of the time. But the difference it makes in terms of mindset and in terms of both of them are so intertwined and intertangled that this journey I'm on now is not just about making myself happier, are delivering a really successful business. It's about both, and both are one, and there's no there's no world outside of where both don't exist. Channeling that mindset, it's taken a long time to get here. You know, I'm a long way away from a TEDx talk, put it that way. But like, <laughs> this is say, where we are now. I think there is a possible book in there, though. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, who one knows, on, Chris, who knows? Path, one on the journey, Chris. Yeah, 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 maybe. <laughs> when I'm 70, maybe, I'll think about it then. Gosh, that's a long way away. Um, okay, so... Any last questions? In terms of your initial funding, so you said you, you worked with your savings and then yep. you're kind of going into your funding right now. Yep. Like, how did you, without saying exactly, but how did you fund that and take on employees? And maybe where was the <coughs> biggest grant coming from or the biggest piece that pushed you forward? Believe it or not, we took no grants through the time. The main thing I said is, how quick can I get this product to market? How quick can I push this? So I set out a really small scale of about 10 grand. I didn't have great life savings, to be honest with you. 
maybe all the BMWs, but he didn't have an awful lot of money at the time. But he said, okay, how can I make, how can I maximize this and stretch this to pieces to get me there? So I accessed two grants, sorry, Leo Grant for website design, uh, marketing and stuff. We accessed that twice throughout the whole time. That's the only funding we actually took in external. I got the product to market by November. I couldn't trade it until March. So within August 20 to March 21, I had a product and I took our first customer at that point. And I built it with whatever I had, whatever favors I could pull in from people, whatever knowledge I had, you know, and I just maximized the small amount. Like when you know the value of money, 10 grand is an all, 10 grand may as well have been a million euro at the time, you know, and like when you can stretch it and you can be really conscious about the work you'll have to do, my advice would be for whoever can, get a product to market as quick as possible, get it to a point of it, if it's good enough and it's movable enough to do that, do it, and start trying to generate revenue. Generating revenue is what has kept us alive for three years. We delivered a profit of about 20 grand in our first year, similar in second year. We'll do similar this year now, but with four full-time staff as the differentiator and overheads of our office and so on. Our overheads have essentially quadrupled in a year, but that's because we've also grown that much in a year. So this is where, this is what has allowed us to, to be able to, when the times get really tough, we have the back and we have the, we have cash flow in the background. We're able to weather the storm without having to do anything else. The biggest trick I missed was I didn't understand the different options that are out there in terms of pre-seed, in terms of work that you can do on different programs. I would, if I could go back in time, you can be sure my first day I would have been on one of them. I wouldn't, in conjunction with working with Florida, I'd have gone straight into that and I'd have tried to maximize the amount just because I could do it. I had a product I could sell. Not everyone does and there is plenty of founders out there that have gone the alternative route and raised pre-seed money and stuff like that directly with Enterprise Ireland and in conjunction with places like Florida and stuff to start them off and get the ball rolling. That's That would have been the alternate and if I could go back in time, I would have actually just done that because the supports are out there, draw on the supports around you. That's a really, really important point. We'll be talking about that at the end. Okay, last question. I don't know if you like this one. <laughs> go, 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 go. Every question is a good question, isn't it? So with your, I suppose, with, with your business and the mission is to uh, provide services to have more education that's affordable, mm-hmm. to have more pilots and meet that um, as people gap. And one, do you want to write the next pitch deck for me? That was, <laughs> that was the best way it's been summarized. Um, the, the second I suppose the other side of that is the world that we live in with uh, climate change and issues globally in environmentally. Of course, yeah. The sust- uh, sustainability itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see your business uh, succeeding or growing? Mm-hmm. Or are you looking at sustainability as an element? Mm-hmm. Or do you see that as a potential uh, limitation or barrier that could come up in the mm-hmm. next, I don't know, few years even where someone might go, mm-hmm. do you know what, we don't need any more pilots, we're going to stop flying or yeah. reduce or whatever? Yeah, well, no, good question, actually. And, you know, it's the first time it was ever posed to me, so excuse me if it's not a really polished answer, but no, okay. what I would say is that it. it absolutely <laughs> is. And, you know, one thing that I would say is that the chances of people giving up flying is probably really, really slim because that is a benchmark that we have in Europe and a benchmark in the EU that we have as being just enormous, like getting on a train these days for us. However, that doesn't excuse like having a totally uneco-friendly mind and, and not being conscious of st- sustainability. I use sustainability a little bit more flippantly in terms of how I use it, and I say that I'm driving sustainability in the pool of people that can become a pilot from delivering a much faster socioeconomic background of who can't take people from all over the place rather than really affluent <laughs> suburbs, you know. However, from a, a, an eco-sustainability point of view, 
As we advance through this, each country has a commitment to deliver a certain amount of emissions targets over the next couple of years. Some of the big drivers of emissions are going to be flight skills and are going to be aviation. It's on the industry as a whole, and specifically commercial aviation, to drive that from the commercial arm. From our partners and I suppose our future customers, it's going to be on them to continuously regenerate their fleet and continuously push that. The one thing I would say, and the biggest thing that we've been able to deliver from a sustainability point of view is, by delivering this excess revenue into our partners, by delivering this, you know, this, I suppose, revenue they had never had, these students they'd never had, they've been a, our, our biggest partner here in Ireland has able, been able to take out 40-year-old fuel-borne aircraft out of our fleet and replace them with 100% environmentally friendly in comparison to them. 2021, 2022 model aircraft that are born born in around 60% less fuel. Because you save them that money. Because we say, and part of our metrics with Pilot Path is that they need to continuously be reinvigorating their fleet to stay on top of the terms. Like our partners, we don't just select anyone. They have to hit really set, set metrics. And part of that is that, and with each partner as we go through, is that the aircraft are going to be continuously upgraded and brought up to a 2023 level. Without Pilot Path, them 40-year-old aircraft probably will continue operating for another 40 years, to be totally honest with you, born and unleaded petrol into the environment. Our aircraft are using a more eco-friendly Avgas, and as I said, born in about 60% less fuel. So that, that would be the one thing we, I didn't consciously set out to do that, but it's one accolade that I can think off the top of my head that we've been able to add. I think part of it and something that I will be conscious of as, as we grow and uh, as we move out is that we're obviously moving to a tech software based company that's going to be working with businesses rather than directly with customer. The influence you can have with businesses if you're delivering a lot of money into them can be vast and a push from me will be as an, envir- as an environment and as a I suppose an industry I plan on staying in for a long time. I want to see it get greener. I want us to grow. I was behind a lot of initiatives in Ryanair and stuff like that that we worked with to, to continuously improve our onboard offering from an eco point of view. And as long as there's people like me, like you out there that are thinking that in that conscious mind, you know, we're the guys that are going to be leading these industries. We're the guys that are going to be in there. And by being vocal about it and asking a difficult question like that, you know, that I, prob- that I wasn't obviously prepared for, that's how you get the word out there. That's how you keep it going. And, I do. Thanks for the question. Yeah, excellent question. And we do know um, Enterprise Ireland um, on the HPSU, you know, sustainability is actually part of the matrix. So yeah. it is important to kind of lead with that when you are actually mm-hmm. discussing. Because this is the question that people are questioning, you know, in yeah. terms of... We all have to look into ourselves and ask. We didn't get here by mistake. You know, like that is the question. We didn't, or the answer, we didn't get here by mistake. So we do. We have to continuously question ourselves and we owe it back. Like my, my view is, and again, I might sound crazy, but... Karma is one thing on one side, but karma is also brilliant on the other side. And if you look after our people and the, pe- the people and the places around you, typically they'll look after you too. Hmm. Nice philosophy. Yeah. Okay, the so we're going to have to leave it there. The <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you Thanks to Craig. Thank you very Thank you for listening to Further with Vendors. To find out more about the game-changing supports Further offers entrepreneurs, go to www.further.ie. That's www.further.ie.